Well, I'm curious, uh, do you remember the first time you heard the Easter story? I'm not talking about the, the first time you heard about Jesus or the first time you read the Bible. I'm talking about the first time you heard the Easter story, uh, the story of what happened during Holy Week 2,000 years ago. The reason I ask is not because I remember uh, the first time I heard the Easter story. I mean, I probably heard it as a child, probably was told it by my parents, uh, but the memory itself escapes me. Instead, uh, the reason uh, I ask is because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to see someone hear the Easter story for the very first time. I got to see my son, Grant, hear the Easter story uh, for the very first time. You know, if I'm honest, uh, it sort of happened by accident. I mean, we've been, uh, we've been talking about God and Jesus. Uh, Grant likes to say, we love God and Jesus. And, uh, and we pray every night before bed. Actually, I've been told that, that we can't go to bed at night if we don't pray. Uh, but we've never actually talked about the Easter story. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, this book slipped into the pile of books uh, that we read every night before bed. It's, uh, it's called The Berenstein Bears and the Easter Story. It was springtime in bear country. That's how the story begins. Springtime in bear country, and brother, sister, and honey bear were thinking about Easter. Actually, uh, the book says, they were thinking about Easter candy, uh, which kind of describes my experience as a kid. Uh, but remember, it's meant to describe and help kids understand the Easter story, which brings us to Mrs. Ursula, the kid's Sunday school teacher. And she overhears them talking about candy. You know, there's much more to Easter than chocolate bunnies, marshmallow chicks, and jelly beans. At which point, uh, she tells the kids that the, uh, the Sunday school class next door is putting on a play called The Easter Story, and she invites them to go and join them. I don't know if you've uh, ever been with someone uh, the first time they heard the Easter story, uh, but they, they notice these things that we forget. See, we, uh, we get to this page, and I, I hear, Daddy, what's that? And that's when I, uh, I remember uh, that this man, when he meets Jesus, uh, he used to need this crutch to walk. But when he, when he meets Jesus, he no longer needs this crutch, and it transforms forms his life. Or we get to this page, and I, I hear, uh, sometimes Jesus made people angry. And I hear, Daddy, why did he make people angry? We love God and Jesus. And that's when we remember, uh, many people found his teaching strange, and some doubted that he was the Son of God. Others worried about why he was called King. You see, the, the piece that I've uh, forgotten the most is, uh, is the fact that Jesus actually dies. He died and rose again. That's what we say. And we say it without even taking a breath. But when you're, when you're two, going on three years old, that grabs your attention. Your feet stop kicking. Your, your fingers, they, they stop fidgeting. Jesus? died, 
And I can tell that, that he's really concerned. I mean, he hasn't heard this part of the story before, and, and so he doesn't know what happens next. And I can tell that he really wants to know. But, but we love God and Jesus. See, here's the problem. Uh, Jesus, Jesus isn't just dead for an hour. Jesus isn't just dead for a day. Jesus is dead for three days, Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday morning. And so there are five pages in this book, five pages between uh, Pilate ordered Jesus to be put to death by hanging on a wooden cross, five pages between that and the page where the angel meets those women and says, Jesus is alive. And during these five pages, there's sadness. And during these five pages, there's confusion. And during these five pages, there's even hope. But he just doesn't know. Uh, for the past six weeks on uh, Wednesday nights, uh, as many of you know, we have been uh, working our way through another story. Another story that's full of darkness and uh, despair. So Wednesday nights, uh, we've been working our way uh, through the, the book of Job, and if, uh, if you've had a chance to join us uh, during the past six weeks, uh, then what you've probably noticed is that the book of Job isn't the happiest book in the Bible. You probably also noticed uh, that the book of Job is, uh, is not uh, the kind of book that you'd expect to have a reading from on Easter Sunday or to have your pastor uh, preaching about. See, the book opens, and as uh, you might imagine, we're introduced to a man named Job, and we learn that he's blameless and upright, he fears God and shuns evil, and, and so he gives us a picture of the best kind of person there is. And that's when we learn that Satan, the accuser, has made an accusation. You see, he says that the only reason that Job loves God, the only reason that he's blameless and upright, is because there are all of these wonderful things in his life. And so take those things away, he says to God, take them away, and he will curse you. He will curse you right to your face, to which God uh, essentially says, and this is my paraphrase. Okay, let's see what happens. Yeah, this creates a whole bunch of problems for us, not the least of which is why. I mean, why would God let this happen to Job? He's an innocent man, yet Job, Job knows none of this, and so he's got a whole different set of questions running through his mind as, as he loses everything he has, as his family dies as his body is covered with these painful sores and boils. And it gets so bad that at one point, someone says to Job, you know, you might as well curse God and die. I mean, go ahead, get over with it. And yet, in the midst of darkness and despair, Job refuses to curse God. That brings us uh, to the middle part of this book, and what we learn is that even though uh, Job's family has died, he's still got three friends. And those three friends come, and they, uh, they offer some help. And we probably need to use the words offer and help uh, a little bit loosely, because it's, it's more like Job's three friends have come uh, with a set of accusations, because they got a couple of things they need to clear up. 
You see, uh, there are all sorts of things that Job doesn't know. He doesn't know why this has happened. He doesn't know when it will stop. He doesn't know how, how it could have happened to him. And so his three friends, they come and they bring with them an answer. Except there's uh, this problem, of course, and the problem is uh, that their answer, uh, their answer is based on a faulty belief. The belief that there is only one reason that you suffer in life. You suffer because you sinned. And so they essentially say to Job, you know, you may not know when you sinned and you may not know how you sinned, but if there's this kind of suffering in your life, you must have done something to deserve it. At this point, I need to say three things. I mean, first, Job's friends are wrong. We don't live in a world like this. There isn't a straight line that connects our sin and our suffering. Our world just doesn't work this way. A second, uh, Job is right. At least he's right in one sense, and that sense is this. There is no grievous sin in his life that has led to his suffering. In that sense, he's an innocent man. But third, uh, third, it is worth pointing out that sometimes... Sometimes, but not always, and sometimes, but not in the case of Job, sometimes we suffer because we sin. I mean, if, uh, if we get into an argument, we say something we regret, our actions destroy a relationship, we might just suffer because we sinned. And, and, and if that's the case, God might just give that suffering a purpose. He might just use it as an opportunity, a, a call to confess, a, a call to repent, a call to make amends. But that's not what's happening in the book of Job. Instead, we find a man in the midst of darkness find a man in the midst of despair. And he's got these three friends, and these three friends come to him, but these three friends, they offer no help. This past week, uh, I found myself uh, moving back and forth between these two stories. Uh, The story of of Job, uh, who has experienced the very worst and doesn't know why, and the story of uh, someone who is hearing the Easter story for the very first time, but doesn't know how it's going to end. You know, what strikes me is that a lot of life is lived in places like this. The kind of place where you have two lists. Uh, a list of what you don't know, and a list of what you do know. Except the list of what we don't know is so often miles longer than the list of what we do. You you go visit the doctor for a routine checkup, and it it seems like business as usual. Business as usual until the doctor notices something strange. So the doctor runs a bunch of tests, and the doctor runs a bunch of tests because you don't know what's causing this. You know, maybe maybe you're bringing a child home from the hospital for the very first time, and your experience is this. I don't even know what I don't know. You know, maybe you're bringing uh, your child home from the hospital, but it's not the first time you're bringing a child home from the hospital. It's the second time or the third time. And, and, and what you don't know is this. Things are a little different. But are they bad different? Or are they just different different? You don't really know. 
Or maybe, maybe you're making plans for next year, plans about what you're going to do, plans about where you're going to work, plans about where you're going to school, and, and you know, you're doing the only thing you can do. You're working down your list. You see, every, every question you answer, somehow it seems to reveal a, another question or two, things that you just don't know. You see, a whole lot of life is lived in, in places like these, places where we just don't know. And if we find any comfort in the book of Job, it is this. Job, Job shows us how we live in places like these shows us three things. You see, first, he shows us that there is a whole lot we don't know, but there is one thing that we do know. I know. That's what Job tells us in Job 19, 25. I know. We know our Lord. We know that he comes down and he meets us right where we are. And for Job, that's a conversation at the end of the book. I mean, God pulls back the curtain and he says, Job, this is who I am. And then he says, and this is the scary part in the book, he says, look, look at what I've done. You know, for us, it's, uh, it's Jesus. It's this man uh, who comes down and lives among us. It's this man who, uh, who enters Jerusalem. We, we remembered that last week. And he's this man who, who, who gives his life and dies for us. You see, there are all sorts of things that we don't know in this world, but Job shows us that there is one thing that we do know. And then he goes on to show us who he is. He is our redeemer. I know my redeemer. That's how Job 19.25 continues. And, you know, this is the crazy part of the story for me. You see, Job, Job is in the midst of darkness. Job is in the midst of despair, and yet he trusts his Lord when he doesn't even know what he's going to do. But we know. We know what he's going to do. We know that he's going to give his life for us, and he's not going to give his life for us because we're innocent. He's not going to give his life for us because there is no grievous sin in our life. He's going to give his life for us because there is grievous sin in our life, and that grievous sin has caused all sorts of suffering, and Jesus, Jesus is going to take that sin upon himself. Jesus is going to suffer in our place. We know our Redeemer. Now, on a Friday night, uh, after our Good Friday service, that's a pretty somber service, after our Good Friday service, uh, I, I looked at Grant and I said, you know, uh, that was a pretty different service, wasn't it? He said, uh, yeah. I said, uh, it's pretty sad, wasn't it? He said, yeah. I said, you know what happens on Sunday, right? And Grant's face, it, it just lit up like a light bulb. He said, yeah, we go to Papa's house. <laughs> now, I had something else in mind. <laughs> oh, but here's the thing. What Jesus does on Easter, it is every bit as exciting as that. See, that's the third and final thing that Job shows to us. Our Redeemer, he lives. And he lives so that we may know that those five pages will eventually be over. 
Jesus lives so that we might know that the darkness and the despair, the long lament, that might be part of the story, but it's not the way the story ends. And he lives so that we might know that in any place, in any circumstance, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, there is a place for you in God's kingdom. And Jesus, Jesus is ushering that kingdom in. We know, we know our Redeemer. We know that our Redeemer lives. Christ is risen. Amen.